Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. One of the core values at Love Lake Norman is this. Generosity is a lifestyle. It's the the idea that we give big because we trust God and his plan. And in the great adventure that is this series and that is walking with Jesus, the great adventure that's growing your faith, there might be nothing that grows your faith more than growing in generosity in your own life. We want to be a generous church. Uh, We give a lot of money away. We invest in our community. and And I love that about this place. Love Lake Norman is becoming a generous church. But what it truly takes to be a generous church is to be a church full of individual people growing in our own generosity. We've all been around generous people and and honestly, it's inspiring. Like it's also challenging, but it's inspiring, isn't it? Being around generous people always makes me ask, how do do I become like that? Maybe you ask that too, or, or maybe your question is, why should I become a generous person? That's a fair question too. To try to get at some answers, I wanna tell you some stories today. Um, for, for a poor homeless carpenter, Jesus talks about money a lot. 11 out of his 40 parables have to do with money. He talks about money more than faith and prayer combined. That's crazy, isn't it? But there's a good reason for that. I, I got an allowance growing up, uh, but my first real introduction to the concept of money was Monopoly. John Orberg told a story once about Monopoly that that has stuck with me. It reminds me of our own, uh, like my own experience playing with my brother and sister and sometimes like with my mom and dad, if we could rope them in. So let me tell you this story that he told. His grandmother taught him how to play the game of Monopoly. She was a a really wonderful person. She raised six children. She lived in uh, his house for many, many years, and she was a a really lovely woman, but she was the most ruthless Monopoly player he had ever known in his life. It was like if, uh, like if Jeff Bezos and like Beyonce would have had a child. (laughs) That's what his grandmother was like when she played Monopoly. She understood that the name of the game is to acquire And when they would play, when he was a little kid and he got his money from the bank, he would always want to save it and hang on to it because it was just so much fun to have all that money in your hands. But she would spend on everything she landed on. And then when she bought it, she would mortgage it as much as she could and buy everything else that she landed on. She would accumulate everything that she could. And eventually she would become the master of the board. And every time he landed, he would have to pay her money. And eventually, every time, she would take his last dollar and he would quit in total defeat. And then she would always say the same thing. She would look at him and she would say, one day you'll learn how to play the game. He like hated it when she said that to him. But, but one summer he played Monopoly with a neighbor that was a kid, uh, a friend of his, almost every day, all day long, and they would play Monopoly for hours and hours. And that summer, uh, Ortberg says that he learned how to play the game. He came to understand the only way to win is to make a total equipment, uh, commitment to acquisition. 
He, he came to understand that money and possessions, that's the way that you keep score. And by the end of that summer, he was more ruthless even than his grandmother. He was ready to like bend the rules if he had to, to win that game. And, and he sat down with her to play with her that fall. And during that game, he slowly, methodically exposed her in the game. He drove her off the board. He, he says that the turning point happened at Marvin Gardens. He looked at his grandmother, the, the one who had taught him how to play, raised his mom. He took everything she had. He destroyed her financially and psychologically. He, he watched as she gave him her last dollar and it was the greatest moment of his life. And then she had one more thing to teach him. Then she said, now it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels, all the railroads and utility companies, all that property and that wonderful money, now it all goes back in the box. He didn't want it to go back in the box. He wanted to leave that board out, maybe like bronze it as a memorial to his ability to play the game. No, she said, none of it was really yours. You got all heated up and worked up about it for a while, but it was, it was around a long time before you sat down at the board and it will be here after you're gone. Players come and players go, but it all goes back in the box. And the game always ends. For every player, the game ends. Every day, you watch the news or check out the latest online. You see people whose games ended this week, people skilled at business or an elderly grandmother with a brain tumor living in a retirement home or a teenage kid who thinks they have the whole world in front of them and then somebody drives through a stop sign. It all goes back in the box. The houses, the cars, the, the titles and the clothes and the portfolios and, and even your, your body. This is why Jesus spoke about money so much. He knew the dangerous game we play with it. He also knew that it was connected to something else, our hearts. You know, one day Jesus was talking with people just like you and me and they were caught up in the game. And this is from Matthew chapter six. He said this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying there's two options, two ways to approach your life when it comes to possessions. The, the first is this, option number one, store up treasures on earth. Cl classic example of this is a guy in the 20th century named Howard Hughes. There was an article in the Leadership Journal called The Myth of More that told Hughes' story. And that story goes like this. It says that all he ever really wanted in life, Howard Hughes, was more. He wanted more money, and so he uh, parlayed inherited wealth into a billion-dollar pile of assets. He wanted more fame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and soon became a filmmaker and a star. He wanted more sensual pleasures, and so he paid big sums of money to indulge his every sexual urge. He wanted more thrills, and so he designed, and then he built, and then he piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He wanted more power, and so he secretly dealt political favors so skillfully that two U.S. presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him true satisfaction. Unfortunately, history shows otherwise. He finished his life emaciated and colorless and 
that a sunken chest and fingernails and grotesque inches long corkscrews, rotting black teeth and tumors and innumerable needle marks from his drug addiction. Howard Hughes died believing the myth of more. He died a billionaire junkie, insane by all reasonable standards. And Jesus' words are prophetic. Don't put all of your effort storing up treasures for yourself here on earth. Why? Because it all goes away. It disappears. You just have it for a while. You've been given it to do something wise with it. It's not for your stockpile. It's a tool. Howard Hughes died with a $2 billion estate. He didn't take any of it with him. Just a sad ending to a selfish life. But let's just don't point fingers at easy targets, right? Isn't this our temptation too? The the, the myth of more. More has to be better, right? More house, more car, more clothes, more luxury, more vacations, more experiences. And it's easy on Sunday to say, hey, I I know I need to do better than that. But Monday rolls around and it's just as easy to get pulled back in. Sucked back into a world that says it's like more is better. Like an addict on the street or a gambler in the casino who says, I just need a little bit more just one more time. John D. Rockefeller was asked once, how much is enough? His answer was like shockingly honest. He said, just a little bit more. Well, Jesus has a way of coming along and sticking a pin in that balloon. He says, it all goes away. It's going to like rot and rust and get stolen. It's going to go to somebody else. When you set your heart on building up stuff, collecting toys, bank accounts, all dedicated to you, the result is that the benefit is only temporary and the treasure will inevitably disappear. He saves a special strong word for those of us who walk down that path. He calls us fools. A fool is simply this, somebody who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it. Eventually it all goes away. It all goes back in that box. But there's another option, option number two, store up treasures in heaven. Store up treasures in heaven. There was another guy in the 20th century who was famous for for totally different reasons. He grew up with virtually unlimited options. He could point his life in any direction and, and make it a success. But instead of pursuing wealth, instead of a comfortable career like his friends, Jim Elliott, prepared his entire life to bring the message of Christ to a tribe in Ecuador who'd never been contacted by anybody from the outside. So in in 1955, Jim, along with four other missionaries, made first contact with the Auca tribe in Ecuador, and they radioed back that things were going well. And that was the last anybody ever heard from them. They were killed not long after that by members of that tribe. And by most of standards, this would have been seen as a total failure, especially if it stopped right there, but it, it didn't. His wife Elizabeth and others began living among that tribe. They established a church there, and eventually many of those tribe members came into a relationship with the God who loves them, and they had their eternities altered forever, all because one man was obedient to God, all because a group of people spurned the trappings of wealth and pursued something much, much more noble and lofty. God's used something awful to do something amazing. Someone who could have stored up earthly treasure decided those weren't the deposits that he wanted to make. He wanted to make an eternal impact with his life. It's night and day, that story, uh, uh, Jim Elliott and Howard Hughes. Jim Elliott says it like this. He is no fool who would give the thing he cannot keep to find what he can never lose. 
One day it does really all go back in the box for us, everything. So here's a truth I want to encourage you to consider, to hang on to, and and perhaps even to build your life around. It's the truth that Jesus was all about. The truth is this, what you have is less important than what you do with what you have. There may be people around you or or that you've heard of who, who give away all kinds of things, you know, cars and homes and piles of money, I don't know, but, and you think to yourself, that could never be me. And, and that may not be you, but we are all called to be generous. We're all called to live sacrificially. And, and if you're really going to go on this great adventure of faith, this will need to be something that you reckon with in your own life. You can't do like everything else, but just keep that one part of your life away from Jesus. So let me make a case for generosity towards the church. Why give? Because God is the owner of everything. You and I are the managers. In fact, here's what God says in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. He says it like this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food for my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The tithe is, is the word for 10%. And, and for, for us, for me, we've established a monthly routine that giving comes first. In fact, we automate it because we like automate the important things in our lives. If we're, we're choosing to automate paying bills, we, we probably should consider automating our giving. This, this passage and a lot of others in the Bible make it clear that when we adopt the discipline of giving to God first, it brings blessing. Jesus makes it clear, like where you put your treasure is where your heart goes. It's, it's not the opposite. Like we tend to think, oh, what I'm passionate about, that's where I will end up putting my treasure. But it's actually the reverse. This is how much our hearts are connected with our, our treasure, with our wallet. If, if you want something to be important in your life, if you have a value that you want to see realized, start putting your money there. Start putting your money there. And what will happen is that your heart will start to turn towards it. It's, it's why people have said, if I want to know what you care about, I don't have to ask you. Just show me your credit card statement. I mean, that is a scary proposition, right? But it's true. Let's be people who invest in the kingdom of God, in kingdom things. And when you begin, watch what God starts to do in your heart to expand your heart towards his purposes, not your own. Giving 10% away, I mean, let's be honest, like that can feel really out of reach. And if that's where you are, you're feeling that way, don't get discouraged and give up. That's the worst thing you can do. If you're at 0%, set a goal, move to 1%. If you're at 3%, have a goal of five. You can do this. And every person that I know that, that has done this has incredible stories about God's blessing and faithfulness along the way. And Jesus working through the local church truly is the hope of the world. He's the only hope that we have. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm here. That's why I think you're listening, watching. And that's where we're going to invest our resources. And that's my challenge to you. You're the manager. God's the owner. You've been given what you've been given, but only for a while. I believe God's wondering, you know, what are we going to do with what he's given? And, and, and you, can, you can complain about what you have, you can bury it, you can amass it for yourself, or you can strategically give it away. And in doing so, make an eternal investment into people who need to hear and respond to Jesus. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have.
Let me pray for us. God, it's um, easy, no matter if we have a lot or a little, to, to simply hold on tightly and to assume that you're the God of, of scarcity, that you don't, you don't give a lot. And, and nothing could be further from the truth, God. You are the God of abundance. And I pray right now for everyone that's listening to this, that, that you would help us, help me to see you as the God of abundance, help our church to see you that way and to be generous. God, create in us generous people so that we can be a generous church to a world who needs to hear about your love and your grace and your mercy and your redemption for them. We pray in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.